This session is called Celebrate the Lord's Day. You have a handout uh, for that. And um, my wife and I have a friend named Janet whose maiden name is Higby. She has a, an old book which traces her family's ancestry back to a man named Edward Higby. And one of his descendants is a man named Samuel Higby. He was born in Middletown, Connecticut on August 14, 1758. He died at Milford, Connecticut on April 23, 1843. He was a soldier in the American War for Independence, later served as the town clerk of Milford. He was bell ringer of the church and caretaker of the town hall. And then this book that Janet showed me called Edward Higby and His Descendants, we read this story in the life of Samuel Higby. One Sabbath morning, just language like that tells you a lot about the worldview uh, of people. They're talking about Sunday morning, they call it the Sabbath. One Sabbath morning, while in the belfry of the church, he saw approaching on the Boston Post Road a coach and four with outriders. He immediately descended, halted the coach, and forbade them driving through the town on the Sabbath. The occupant proved to be none other than the Vice President of the United States, Aaron Burr. Upon learning his identity and being informed that the Vice President had a pressing engagement, the deacon did not retract, but informed Mr. Burr that the Lord's business was more important than any man's and forbid him from riding through the town until sunset, compelling him to remain in Milford until sunset. Now, you make the call. Was Mr. Higby right in what he did? In the 1984 presidential election, President Reagan made a campaign stop at the College of DuPage, uh, which is across the street from the church I was pastoring at the time in the western suburbs of Chicago. Come out in front of our church is about a 40-acre vacant field owned by the college. At the far end of that was their new field house, and that's where they were having this event. Three helicopters flew low over our church building, Marine One and a couple of others just like it, and they landed at different times. You didn't know exactly which one the president was in, and he had that campaign event there. Now, this occurred on a Sunday afternoon. You were watching this event with me. Can you imagine yourself running out of the church, running across the highway, running across that 40-acre field, waving your arms, yelling at the president to stay in the chopper until sundown because it was Sunday? Well, if we are to believe that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath and that the fourth commandment and Old Testament Sabbath laws apply to us much as they did to the Jews except bumped over to Sunday, then yes, Mr. Higby was right. And yes, you would be right in trying to stop the president from traveling and campaigning on Sunday. Although you might go to your eternal rest if you did. But on the other hand, if Mr. Higby was wrong, and it would be wrong for you to try to stop the president from campaigning on Sunday, aren't you saying it's Sunday is just like any other day, or any other day off, except for perhaps a religious meeting or two thrown in? If we're not under the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and we're not under the Old Testament Sabbath laws, then is there really anything wrong with mowing your yard, washing your car, buying your groceries, going to the mall, 
going to Walmart, going to a ball game on Sunday. And if there's nothing wrong with doing those things on Sunday, pray tell what is the difference between Sunday and any other day. Again, except for a religious meeting thrown in. But if Sunday is, in some sense, as almost all of our heroes believed, if it is the Christian Sabbath, and if we are under some obligations to the Sabbath instructions of the Old Testament, then not only is going to uh, Jacksonville to watch the Jaguars wrong, so is watching them on television. So is eating out. So is cooking a meal. Are these the only two options? To be biblical, does Sunday have to be as dreaded as a trip to the dentist? Does Sunday have to be a day where we feel as though the law of God is, is keeping us in like an eight-year-old boy forced to stay in and practice the piano while he can see his buddies playing ball across the street? Is Sunday a day where we do what we think God wants us to do while we'd rather do something else? Or can we be biblical and do just about anything we want on Sunday? Go to the lake, go to the golf course, go to the movies, go to the mall, as long as we go to church. Well, again, as I finish the last session, I hope you see now why it's important that we did what we did in the last session. And what a terrible question it is for someone to say, well, just give me the list, tell me what I can and can't do on Sunday. You know, what a horrible, legalistic, Pharisaic way of seeing these things that is. It's essential to see, first of all, that the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ and we keep the Sabbath when we come to Jesus. But let's go on to the rest of the story now and see the, in the Bible the transition in the Bible from the Sabbath day to the Lord's day. So that's the point here now, transition from Sabbath day to Lord's day. <clears throat> What's so special about Sunday, the first day of the week? Well, the first Christians, I will remind you, were Jewish. They worshipped on Saturday until they became Christians, and then they began worshipping on the first day of the week instead of the seventh day. That, not, that may not sound like a big deal to you, but we need to realize what a drastic change it was to get a Jew to worship on any other day besides Saturday, the Sabbath. It would, I mean, that, you know, there was no question. God wrote it in stone with his own finger. Worship on Saturday. And in, especially in Jerusalem and Israel, literally no one disagreed with that. As opposed to the culture we live in today. Literally every person to the man would have agreed with that, whether they did it or not. But they, everyone agreed with that. Literally everything in the culture would have supported the idea Saturday Nobody works. It is the day we seek God. And then these devoted Jews suddenly begin worshiping on another day. Contrary to everyone else and everything else in the culture. Do you see how convinced they had to be to change their day of worship? You don't change your day of worship because you kind of think maybe you're to change your day of worship when you know God wrote it in stone with his own finger. It would be easier to convince Americans to move the Super Bowl to 4 a.m. on Wednesday 
than to convince any Jew to worship on any day of the week except Saturday. But they did. And what was it that persuaded them to worship on Sunday instead of Saturday? The resurrection of Jesus. But don't you see how they could have believed exactly what you and I believe about the resurrection and still worshiped on Saturday? They could believe everything you and I believe about the resurrection of Jesus and still worship on Saturday. But somehow they were convinced that the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday meant a change in the day of worship to another day of the week. God had inaugurated a new covenant. He had done away with the old and the cornerstone of the new covenant was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead on the first day of the week. And after that... All Christians, whenever possible, have worshipped on the first day of the week. But it wasn't simply the response of the people. I'm going to give you a list very quickly of ten things here in just a moment. Scriptures. Showing how nearly every event in the Bible between the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit and great power on Pentecost, including that happened on the Lord's day. And when I give you this list, some of these things are huge, like the resurrection, Pentecost. Some of the things on this list are relatively minor. But what is significant is that the Bible explicitly says they happened on the first day of the week. Which is emphasized further by the fact that we never read in the New Testament and they did this on Tuesday. But over and over we read, and on the first day of the week, and on the first day of the week, and on the first day of the week, and on the first day of the week. As the Lord keeps punctuating the importance of the first day of the week. It's different. It's unique. So here are ten things we see, we're told, happen on the first day of the week. So on the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. Matthew 28, verse 1. Six. It was on the first day of the week that Jesus announced that he would ascend back to heaven. That's John 20, 17. They didn't know that. I mean, they didn't even get it about the resurrection. Remember that? It's funny who did. I realized just a few years ago who did get it. Several times Jesus explicitly said, we're headed up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of the Jews and they will crucify him. And three days later, he rise from the dead. And they just ride over them. They never got that. But you know who did? Who did get it? The Pharisees. How do we know they got it? They asked the Romans for a guard. They said this imposter said that he would rise after three days. If the apostles come and steal his body away, the second deception will be worse than the first. Isn't it interesting that they heard that and understood it and got it and the ones who heard it over and over the closest ones to Jesus didn't and so he had to open their minds to understand that he's going to ascend back to heaven they would have, they would have thought this is it this is it we thought it was going to happen before but we didn't understand the crucifixion but now he is risen from the dead nothing is going to stop us now we're going to get the foot of the Romans off our neck this is it no not yet I'm going back to heaven for a while he told them that important piece of news on the first day of the week, John 20, 17. It was on the first day of the week Jesus first appeared to his disciples. 
in the upper room. John 20, verse 19. So his, his, his appearance to them after his resurrection happened on the first day of the week. It was on the first day of the week that Jesus first opened the minds of his disciples to understand the scriptures about his resurrection. This is Luke 24, verses 45 to 47. What happens in Luke 25, 24, verses 45 to 47? Road to Emmaus. Remember, they didn't, they said, you know, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't, under, doesn't know about what's happened in recent days? Well, what? And they tell him, and then it says Jesus went through the whole Old Testament, showed how it pointed to him. He opened their minds to understand those things. First time that happened was on the first day of the week. It was on the first day of the week that Jesus gave them the Great Commission. John 20, 21. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. The Great Commission came on the first day of the week. Sixth, it was on the first day of the week that Jesus breathed on his disciples, imparting the Holy Spirit in some sort of provisional kind of way prior to Pentecost. So this unusual episode is in John 20, verse 22. Seventh, it was on the first day of the week that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, not for the first time, but in great power for the first time, gifting all believers with spiritual gifts for service and burdening them with evangelism for, to share the gospel. Those things had not come before by the Holy Spirit. Pentecost was on the first day of the week. Eighth, the believers at Troas gathered together to break bread, and Paul preached in Acts 20, verse 7. So their gathering together, we're told, happened on the first day of the week. That's when they always did. Ninth, it was on the first day of the week that Paul directed the Corinthian believers to make their offerings to the Lord's work in 1 Corinthians 16.2. Why would he have them do it on that day? That's the day they always gathered, the first day of the week. He didn't have them come on some odd day just for the purpose of giving an offering. No, when you gather together on the first day of the week, give your offering. And ten, it was on the first day of the week that the risen Lord revealed himself in the future to the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos and Revelation 1, verse 10. The book of Revelation was given on the first day of the week. Over and over and over and over. First day of the week, first day of the week, first day of the week, first day of the week. And that's why from the start, Christians have gathered together whenever possible, cultural circumstances allowed, on the first day of the week instead of the seventh. But that still doesn't tell us what we want to know, and that is, okay, how should we spend the Lord's day? We have kept the Sabbath when we've come to Christ, but we do see this term in the New Testament, the Lord's Day. So now that we've come to Christ, what are we to do on the Lord's Day? Is it sinful to work on Sunday? Is it wrong to watch a ball game or a movie on Sunday? Is it wrong for the kids to be in a sports league on Sunday? I remember in my hometown in northeast Arkansas, when the city council passed an ordinance, there could be no league softball, not just church league, any kind of organized softball in town on Wednesday night. Because it might keep you from going to prayer meeting. And then 20 years later, I'm pastoring in the suburbs of Chicago where they have all kinds of little league sports for kids on Sunday morning. How about eating out? Yard work, going to the mall, going grocery shopping. Are they forbidden on Sunday? And as long as you go to church first, does it make a difference? 
And how do we make these decisions? Because you won't see Walmart in the New Testament. How do we make these decisions? What does the Bible say? Well, I'm going to quickly survey for you four major views of this. I'm clearly tell you where I'll stand and what I'm teaching tonight and where most of my heroes have stood. So I want you to think of four columns. We'll symbolize them. This, this group, you know, this, these pews here, this will be one column. On the far right as you're looking at it, this would be, this half here would be the, the next most column to the right. Then here's a column, a column over there in front of, in front of those pews. So the, the strongest view in one sense would be way over here. That would be what we'd call the seventh day Sabbath. That's one way of understanding the Lord's day, that it's still, we're still to worship on Saturday. That's what the Jews believe, the Seventh-day Adventists believe, the Seventh-day Baptists believe. I trust that's no one here. So there are people who believe that. We don't take that view. This view here, the next strongest view, would be what's historically called the Christian Sabbath view. Most of the heroes quoted in your Sunday school material from this pulpit have taken this view. Nearly all of my heroes, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, some of the founders of the Southern Baptist Convention, and many, many others would take what's called the Christian Sabbath view, a view many of you grew up with knowingly or not. Any that said, you know, we're to keep the Sabbath, Sunday's the Sabbath, that's the Christian Sabbath view. Uh, if you inherited a tradition, as I remember my grandmother doing, uh, of uh, she would fry chicken every Saturday. And we had cold chicken on Sunday. Why? That's where you don't cook a meal. The Bible says you don't cook on the Sabbath. Sunday's the Sabbath. Things in the Old Testament just kind of bumped over to Sunday. And so you cook on Saturday and you still have cold meat on Sunday without cooking a meal. And so uh, that's a tradition that I, I know my grandmother's thinking wasn't probably theological in that, but the, the roots of that practice were theological. They were Sabbatarian. That's where that, that came from. And that businesses be closed, all the blue laws and so forth, uh, came from Sabbatarian influence in our country. It said you don't work on the Sabbath. Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. And so it's, it's influenced all of us knowingly or, or not. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, this is not the view I've been teaching. And I want to be very upfront with you about that so it's plain. No one feels like, well, I've, I've been misled or deceived or didn't tell me the whole story. And I tremble when I differ with my heroes because I would admit most of them are godlier men than I. And most of them, I would say, would probably know the Bible better than I do. And their argument would, would follow like this, that... We have 10 commandments. The fourth commandment is one of those 10. And it is a very strange way of understanding the Bible, a very strange hermeneutic, if you know that word, to say nine of them are still in effect, but not one. And I would say, normally, I would agree with you, but I take that view because I think that's precisely what the Bible teaches. And that's what I argued the last hour, that the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. It's not mentioned 
in the New Testament. It's not taught there. The apostles didn't teach it to Gentiles, and it's never spoken of as something that Christians do after Pentecost and so forth. So I, I believe that's exactly what the Bible teaches, that it is fulfilled in Christ, and that's why we don't say it's, it's still in effect today. Now, I want you to understand why people who take that view, I, I said at the very beginning tonight, the fourth commandment is the most controversial of the ten, even among Christians. There are entire denominations that really form around one distinctive, and that is what we call Sabbatarianism. There are churches that would believe exactly what yours believes, except on one point, Sabbath, and they will have nothing to do with you. So many churches have split over this issue. There are entire denominations that are divided over this one issue, and here's why. Because the Sabbatarians say, look, the Sabbath is God's eternal moral, that's a key word, eternal moral law. God's eternal moral law says... You shall have no other gods before me. That's eternal. That's always been true. It always will be true. God's eternal moral law says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's been wrong forever. It will be wrong forever. God's eternal moral law says, You shall not commit murder. That's always wrong in all cultures, in all places, at all times in the past. It always will be wrong in all cultures and all places and all times. And for you to take one of those laws, God's eternal moral law, and say you can break it or it's not in effect, it's just like saying you can have other gods. You can have images. You can take the Lord's name in vain. It's okay. You can murder people. You can't do that with God's eternal moral law. You're minimizing God's word. You're minimizing God's law. And we can have no fellowship with anybody who takes that view of the word of God. That's why some get so exercised about it. They cannot have fellowship with someone who believes exactly as they do on every single other point. Because they think you're disregarding the eternal moral law of God. Now, I have great respect for my Sabbatarian friends. And I have many of them. I have people who think I'm a Sabbatarian because of my practices on the Lord's Day. Many of the things I would do similar to Sabbatarian, but for completely different reasons. I'm clearly not a Sabbatarian. But I have respect for them for two reasons. Number one, they believe they get their position from the Bible. And I have great respect for anyone who says, I believe this because I believe it's taught in the Bible. And second, I have great respect for them because it is not easy to be a Sabbatarian and increasingly not easy to be one. It used to be a lot easier. You know, when everything was closed down on Sunday and, and everything else, it was a lot easier to be a Sabbatarian back then. It's a lot harder nowadays, and you're going against the culture.
And so I, I have great respect. But I, I differ, and I have a couple of, well, my big problem is biblical and theological. I believe the Bible teaches the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. And that now the Lord's Day is what we're to be interested in as Christians. But I have a couple of practical questions. The first one is this. Any church that takes the Sabbath seriously because they believe it's in the Bible takes the Bible seriously. And therefore, they practice church discipline. They take that seriously. As taught in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 and so forth, they would take the scripture seriously about church discipline, of removing from membership those who, after many loving, persistent appeals by increasingly larger groups and eventually the whole church body, when the whole church body has persistently lovingly appeal to them to repent and they still refuse to repent the church body recognizes what's already there a breach in fellowship removes them from membership so any church that takes the sabbath seriously takes church discipline seriously well here's my problem i am 100 percent confident it has happened but i have never heard i don't know of a Sabbatarian church that's disciplined someone for breaking the Sabbath. And you know there have to be Sabbath breakers, right? I mean, you, you have all kinds of lawbreakers, adulterers, and others in, in every kind of church, no matter how seriously they take the whole Bible. And so surely you're going to have Sabbath breakers. And I've never heard of one being disciplined. But here's my other problem, and it's related to the first. And you, you may think it's funny, but I, I'm serious about it. And that is, okay, if, if I go to Walmart, if I buy my groceries, if I, if I do things like that on the Sabbath, and it's sin, breaking God's law, well, I don't want to do that. I, I, I love God and his law. I don't want to break the law of God. I don't want to sin. So I, I don't want to break the Sabbath. So I, I got to go get groceries. When does the Sabbath start? And when does it end? The Jews believed it started when? Sundown. So let's say roughly 6 o'clock Saturday night until 6 o'clock Sunday night. Okay? Legally, when does Sunday begin? Midnight. Uh-oh, that's six hours of difference. Practically, when do we say the day begins? Sunrise, right? Let's say 6 o'clock in the morning, roughly. That's a 12-hour difference. And so by doing the very same thing, let's say going to Walmart and getting groceries, I have broken the law of God if I do it at one time and not another time. I got to know the time, right? I am breaking God's law. I am subject to church discipline. So i got to know when it starts and stops, don't I? And there is very little agreement on when that is. That's a very practical issue. But more importantly, I believe the Bible teaches something different. The view that I've been teaching tonight has often been called the Lord's Day view. Or sometimes the continental view. Because there were people on the continent like John Calvin who took this view um, and some others who 
go back onto the, the continent. Most of the Puritans were, were Christian Sabbath people, Sabbatarians, but there were a few, John Bunyan and others who were exceptions, would have taken the continental view. But you know what I think 90% of evangelicals' view is? I would have to put them, the view of most Christians would have to be I call this one the oblivious view. They don't have a view. They don't have a theology of the Lord's day. They never ask themselves the question, is it okay to do this because it's Sunday? That just never crosses our mind. If I do this, is it right or wrong to do this because it is Sunday? They have no theology. So how do we decide? How do we make these decisions? The Bible. And all I'm really trying to persuade you tonight is this. For you to make your decisions of what you believe you're free to do or not free to do based upon the Bible. Is that asking too much of a Christian? (laughs) You may have the freedom to do some things that I don't. I may not have the freedom to do some things you do. But as long as you say, you know, I believe God permits me to do this on the Lord's day, or I, don't, I believe he does not because the Bible says this, then we're, we're good. As long as you're getting your position from the Bible and not just from culture, because that's where I think most make their decisions. They will watch the Super Bowl or not on Sunday because culture either everyone in the, in the national culture or everyone in their church's culture. That's how they make their decisions. So they literally don't know anyone in America not watching the Super Bowl except people who don't like football. And even people who don't like football often watch it on that day. That's not how we make the decision. Going out to eat on Sunday. Well... How do people make that decision? Basically, what people like them do, people in their church, for everybody in their church, typically, or often goes out to eat on Sunday, they won't have a second thought about it. I'm not going to argue one way or the other for you. I'm not going to present what I, I do on any of those. I'm just appealing to you to say, make your decision based upon what the Bible teaches, not what the culture says. I don't think that's asking too much of a Christian, is it? What does the Bible say? And unfortunately for some of us, that means thinking and talking and maybe reading, asking questions. But I believe God gives me the freedom to do something, not just because I like it and I want the freedom, therefore I'm going to claim it. Nor am I going to refrain from something that's a gift of God just because maybe my background kind of inclines me that it's, I feel guilty if I do that on Sunday. What does the Bible say? And then act in accordance with that. And you may have a different view on all the things I've mentioned than I do. But if you have that view because of what you believe the Bible teaches, great. That's how we make those decisions. So, 
we can't go in the New Testament like we can in the Old Testament to a list of things, do this, don't do this. In the New Covenant, we have principles to guide us. And I think there are two. Here's how you make your decisions. First of all, make worship with other believers the priority. Make worship with other believers the priority. Do we have a specific New Testament command for Christians to worship on the Lord's day? No, there is no command that says you must worship on Sunday. Do we have a command that we are to gather together? Yes, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. When, so we have that apostolic command. Apostolic command is gather together with other believers. Don't forsake that. How, what example did the apostles give us for when they obeyed that commandment? What day? Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. So that's how I derive this first principle. The apostolic command is gather with others to worship. The apostolic example is they did that on the Lord's Day. You put those together, and I think you've got a pretty strong principle. And my principle is worship with other believers, which is a command, should be our first priority on the Lord's Day because it was for the apostles. That's where I get that. The New Testament command is gather with other believers. The apostles did that on the Lord's Day. Therefore, it's a pretty good principle, pretty good authority there. So the main focus on the Old Covenant Sabbath was rest. Don't work, don't cook a meal, don't kindle a fire for a meal, don't do this, don't do that. That was the main emphasis. In the, in the, in the New Covenant, in the Lord's Day, it's activity. Emphasis on the activity of worship, the activity of the things of, of the body of Christ. So worship isn't to be seen as just putting in an hour or two for God, then I'm free to do what I want. That's making it my day. It's the Lord's day. So if there's a conflict, a choice to be made between worship and something else, worship wins. Even if you were family, you rarely see. Worship is a priority because it is the Lord's day. So, that's the first principle. Worship with other believers is the priority on the Lord's day. Second, this is one we're going to unpack here. How do, how do you decide? We are to observe it, the Lord's day. We're to observe it as a day uniquely for the Lord. As a day uniquely for the Lord, remembering after all that it is whose day? The Lord's day. And evaluating every activity by that fact I'll repeat that this is the second principle of how we are to keep the Lord's day we are to observe it as a day uniquely for the Lord remembering that after all it is the Lord's day and evaluating every activity by that fact in other words in summary here's how you decide is it right or is it wrong to do this on Sunday should I go? Should I not go? Should I do it? Should I not do it? Here's how you decide. It's the Lord's day. There you go. There's your answer. 
We don't have a list of things to do and not do. We have a principle. And the principle is it's the Lord's day. It's not your day. It's the Lord's day. And according to that principle, you're going to make some decisions different than I will make. But you're attempting to do it in a way that honors the Lord according to the Bible. If you'll do that, you will do well. So that's how you do it. It's the Lord's day. It's a day observed uniquely for the Lord. It's found in Revelation 1.10, the term the Lord's Day. It's a distinctively Christian term. It's more appropriate for Christians than Sunday. I don't think there's anything wrong with using the word Sunday, but where did it come from? This is the day that they worship the sun, right? On what day did they worship the moon? Moon day. It's the old Roman calendar. Sunday you worship the sun. Moon day you worship the moon. So, but nobody knows that today. I don't have a problem. Somebody says Sunday. I don't think that's, that's pagan to use that term. My question is, why not use the distinctively Christian term? Give me a good reason not to use the biblical term, the Lord's Day, when referring to Sunday. Got a good reason not to do that? Why not call it the Lord's Day? I found just using the term Lord's Day can have an impact because, for one thing, it's unexpected. Even around church, people always say Sunday rather than the Lord's Day. And when you say, call Sunday the Lord's Day, it gets their attention because it's, it's different. When I was pastoring in the Chicago area for a while, we allowed a, a group of Korean Baptists to use our building on Sunday afternoon. And they would uh, often begin gathering as I was just finally leaving after church on Sunday morning. And I noticed their habit was they would come in the back and they would take the first seat by the door and sit there and pray for a moment and then come to their permanent seat for the service and sit there and pray until the service began. And I like that. You came into our building before the service, it sounded like a gymnasium. And yet, that was the sound of a family reunion. Our people came from 20 different towns. Some lived an hour in this direction and an hour in that direction. You never saw anyone from church except at church. So if they didn't want to talk to each other, I would have really been worried. So I thought, how can I let them have the family reunion and yet prepare for worship together? And the solution I came up with was this. Encourage the family reunion. Let that happen. Even at church, they didn't have too many opportunities to talk to one another. So maximize that. And then... Five minutes, three minutes, couple of minutes before the service, I would get up and call people to prepare their hearts for worship and ask them to pray till the beginning of the worship service as music was being played. And I would stand up and usually say something like this, the weekend is over. And you see people go, oh man, come on man, it's short enough as it is, don't ruin it for us, we still got one more day, blah, 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 blah. And as they're grousing and feeling bad and depressed about it, I would begin to say, you know, the weekend is over. This is the first day of the week. This is the Lord's day. The first day of the week. The world lives for Saturday night for the end of the week. Christians live for the Lord's day, the best and brightest of days. So prepare your hearts now to come and drink your fill of God and enjoy God. 
And you could see him sort of brighten up again like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's right. Folks, tomorrow is the weekend. Sunday is not. It is not the weekend. It is the beginning of the week. It is the first day of the week. That's the truth. It is a lie to say that Sunday is the weekend. The Bible says Sunday is the first day of the week. That is the truth. And so when we use that term, the Lord's Day, we, it's, it's a witness in a sense. It's unexpected. It declares your belief in a Christian doctrine in summary, just those two words, the Lord's Day. Why not use the Bible term? Why not? Now, some people say, now, wait a minute. Uh, why, we don't just worship God one day a week, though we may assemble with others one day a week. We can wake up every morning and say what Psalm 118.24 says every day. We can wake up today, tomorrow, and say, this is the day the Lord has made, right? Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We can say that every day, can't we? So why do we have this day called the Lord's Day and call it special? What day should we honor our father and mother? Every day, right? And yet, we still have Mother's Day. Father's Day. Why? We give them special honor on those days. Every day is the Lord's Day in one sense. Every day we can say, this is the day the Lord has made. But the Lord's Day, we give him special honor. And I'll remind you, he is the one who designated that, not Congress, as Mother's Day and Father's Day. It is God himself who said, honor your father and mother, and we're to do that every day. It is God himself who established and inspired the Lord's Day. So now that's getting at how we're supposed to live on the Lord's Day. We're to focus on him, rest from regular activities to give special focus on him. So practically speaking, now let me begin to go through a list of things. And um, beyond the priority of public worship, for most Christians, I would say it's a day to enjoy the extended enjoyment of God in the spiritual disciplines. Personal spiritual disciplines, interpersonal spiritual disciplines. Those means given to us by God in the Bible by which we enjoy God and receive his blessings. The intake of the word of God. Which we can do on Sunday without one eye on the clock like other days. Prayer family worship evangelism by means of spending time with your neighbors you don't normally get to fellowship as we'll talk about tomorrow not mere socializing but fellowship with God's people even if it means going out to eat together getting together to enjoy the blessings of God he gives us through his people reading Christian books Well, preacher, I just don't have time for them books. Hey, did you see the beginning of the football season today? Yeah, in fact, wasn't the, I saw the doubleheader. The second game was even better than the first one. Did you see it? Oh, you don't have time for Christian books. Six hours of football. Facebook every day. The Lord's Day is the perfect day those kind of things we say we don't have we want to do we don't have time for in other days the means by which we grow in grace enjoy God enjoy his good gifts enjoy our family enjoy God's outdoors this is the day 
This is a day for Christian hospitality you never seem to be able to host and fellowship with other believers, even if it means going out to eat to do that. If you spend your time in a profitable way, I think it's glorifying to God. Now you may say, now wait a minute, by doing that, you're causing people to work. Well, that, that could be more of a problem here in Avon Park than it was where I was in Chicago, though I still think it's pretty well true here. If you go to a restaurant or basically any other place, Walmart or some other place on Sunday, by and large, who's working at these places? Unbelievers are. And if for whatever reason, if Christians through some organized means or whatever shut down a particular restaurant, they'd go somewhere else and get a job. They are determined to work on Sunday. They want to work on Sunday. And so if necessary, and I don't think it always is necessary, but if necessary, in order to obey God's commandment, to have fellowship with God's people, and the only way you can do that, the best way you can do that is on Sunday and to eat out, then I say go out and eat to the glory of God and understand this from a biblical perspective, let the worldlings serve us. In the same spirit that God told the Israelis when they left to spoil the Egyptians, to let them pay for the trip, and to pay for the future tabernacle. And so the Egyptians gave them their jewels and, you know, all these things. In the same way, if the world is determined to work on Sunday, we will let them serve the purposes of God and enable us to eat out together. Now, if you know that by going to a particular restaurant, you are forcing a Christian to have to work on Sunday, don't go there. Better yet, help them get another job so they don't have to work on Sunday. We don't want our freedom to cause some unbelievers to be able to keep the first principle, and that is to gather together with others and worship God. So just like Paul would say, if, you know, if... if I'm going to make someone stumble. I'll never eat meat again. Well, I'm going to restrain my freedom to go out and eat at a restaurant for fellowship purposes if it's going to keep my brother or sister from coming to church. There's, there's more to that issue, but I think you get the point there. I think this is also, and for fellowship purposes, this may help. I mean, this is a day maybe to go through the drive-thru. This is a day perhaps for, I think it should be, the, if you're at home, the simplest of meals. They require the simplest, shortest preparation and cleanup. And those of you who have long been married, your patterns are set. But let me say to those who aren't yet, if, now, if, if, Guys, if your wife grow, grew up in a tradition and enjoy, or just enjoys having the whole family over, big groups of people over, and that's a ministry she has and loves, wonderful. Use that to the glory of God. But if that's what you grew up in, don't force that on her if that's not where she is gifted and enjoys. Because it keeps her from being able to spend extensive time in the enjoyment of God. For many of us, Sunday should be the day for Leftovers, the drive-thru, the shortest meal preparation. 
so that the rest of the day could be spent enjoying God, not cleaning up the kitchen. One of the best days for sharing Christ with neighbors you never seem to connect with during the week. More people are going to be home on Sunday than any other day of the week. So what a great day for connecting with those neighbors. And here's where the principle of evaluating things by the fact that it's the Lord's day comes in. Because, well, let me, let me mention sports and then I'll come back and, and bring this in. Um, Years ago, I basically quit watching sports on Sunday. Not because I can show you from the Bible that it's wrong. I can't. My Sabbatarian friends think they can. They'll go to Isaiah 58 and says, it says, do not seek your own pleasure. Speak your own word on the Sabbath. Are you watching the ball game because it's pleasure to you? Yes, well, the Bible forbids that. I don't take that view. But what I do is choose something better for my soul than watching the ball game is. Now, I love sports. I played four sports in high school. I, was, I, I played college baseball. I still um, follow it a great deal. I understand uh, you're uh, a great baseball town here. And... Um, um, my Cardinals are tied with the Tigers going in bottom of the seventh. I've got a subscription to MLB.com. I love sports. Still follow them all pretty well. But I quit watching sports on Sunday, not because I wouldn't enjoy it or don't want to follow them, but I choose something better for my soul. Reading a Christian book, playing with my grandson or about to be granddaughter, Spending time with neighbors I never get to spend time with. Spending time with my Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. Taking a nap. Doing these kinds of things that are better for my body, my soul, my family, the kingdom of God than watching a ball game is. And I'm not going to die for lack of sports, not with Monday night football and Thursday night football and all day Saturday football, Friday night college games now. And, you know, just about any sport is pretty much seven days a week, and that's why you've got the DVR and video highlights for just about anything you want. But I don't have the time on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, that, that's when I need the time for these other things. I don't have them on other days. I can get ball games just about every other day. But I rarely have time to spend doing some of these things except on the Lord's Day. So I want to maximize that for the sake of my soul. Not because I think I'm in sin if I do these other things. I choose something better. So, But here's where the principle comes in of it's the Lord's Day. That's how you decide. Not sports is always wrong. No sports is always good. When I lived in Kansas City where I was for 10 years teaching at Midwestern Seminary, one of our sister seminaries before I came to Southern 13 years ago. My next-door neighbors had, were Kansas City Chiefs fanatics. They had season tickets. And if they were out of town, you can be sure they were watching the Chiefs on television. Well, if I happen to be in town, and, I mean, they're always on television, I didn't watch NFL on Sunday, I chose to do other things that were better for my soul that I'd never had time to do. 
But if my next door neighbor said, hey, Don, come over and watch the Chiefs today, you know what I did? I went over and watched the Chiefs to the glory of God. You know why? I'm trying to reach my neighbors. And the only time I can do that is a rare Sunday afternoon when I'm home. And the cost to reach my neighbors to me is watching a ball game. You bet I'm going to go. And I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to do it for the glory of God because my goal is to reach my neighbors. I rarely get to do that. But if I'm home by myself, I'm not going to watch a ball game because that doesn't help my soul or my family more than other things I could do. So how do you choose? It's the Lord's Day. That's how you decide. Now, I'm not far from being done, but I know it's gone pretty late, so if you need to leave, I I understand. Um, Let's take another one. What about yard work? It seems like every place I have ever lived, there is this magic switch under my pillow. And when my head hits the pillow on Sunday afternoon, I mean, every lawnmower, leaf blower, weed eater in the neighborhood comes on. And I think, I can do my yard work on other days. Why can't you guys do yours on other days? Is it right or wrong for me? Well, Scripture is silent on that. So I apply the principle of it's the Lord's day. I finally realized several years ago why I hate yard work, and I think it's the noise. Now, there's something about it as a pastor I enjoyed because unlike anything else I did as a pastor, I knew when I was done, And I could immediately say, I did a good job. As a pastor, you're never finished preparing to preach or teach. You're never finished with all the counseling. You're never finished with all the witnessing. You're never finished with anything as a pastor. And you can study all week, preach your heart out, and hear nothing but crickets after the end of the sermon. And you don't know if you did any good or not. But when I mowed the yard, I knew when I was done. And I could tell I did a good job immediately. But I still hated it, and I realized it's the noise. To me, it's part of the curse. But, so I don't want that ruining my Lord's Day. But you know, my wife really enjoys puttering around with flowers and things like that. For her, it's relaxing. For her, it's enjoying God's creation. Not me. For me, I'm going to get that done on other days. But, what if I'm leaving town Monday? It's been bad weather. My yard has all grown up, and it's going to be a poor witness to my neighbors if I let my yard continue to grow and get really tall when everybody else looks good. Then I'm going to mow my yard on Sunday to the glory of God. Why? Because I don't want to be a poor witness to my neighbors. Or maybe I'm going to hire some kid from the church or the neighborhood to mow it, you know, when I'm gone. But I would feel the freedom to mow it on Sunday if that could be done to the glory of God. See, the whole idea here is I have more to do always than I have time, right? That's why we're talking about this in a a conference on how to respond biblically to the increased complexity and pace of life. I have more to do than I ever have time to do. If I could live, if I could stay awake 24-7, I still couldn't get caught up. Reminds me of John Piper. One time woke up, and you know, he's Monday morning, he's so sleepy. So, why did you make me that I have to sleep? I could get so much more done. I could do so much more for the Great Commission if I didn't have to sleep. And what he seemed to hear God saying was, I made you so that you have to sleep so that you'll know you're not God. 
you have to leave some things undone. You have to leave some things in my hands. But if I could stay awake 24-7, I still wouldn't get everything done. The Lord's Day is a way of saying, and recognizing that I never get finished, I'm going to put up some walls on the Lord's Day. And in this space, I'm giving myself permission, or better, God is giving me permission in this space. I don't have to produce. God doesn't have me under his thumb saying, come on, give me more, do more every day of my life. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, he has given us all things richly to enjoy. And so I'm setting aside time where I'm going to enjoy God and enjoy his gifts, the gifts of fellowship in his church, the gifts of the word of God, the gifts of friendship, the gifts of fellowship the gifts of his creation, the gifts of grandchildren, the gifts of good books. And I'm going to, I have permission from God to leave some things undone and enjoy things in rightful, holy pleasure. I see that's what it is. Because if I don't put those walls up, things are going to come crashing in like water into the Titanic. So the Lord's day is just putting up those walls. And in this space, I'm safe. <laughs> in this space, I don't have to feel guilty. I don't have to feel behind. I love the Lord's day. I love the Lord's day. Well, there's a couple more here. Um, So the more you can prepare for that, the better. A lot of wisdom in doing meal preparation in advance, laying out the clothes, laying out the Bibles. It's funny, we can get ready at 8 o'clock other days of the week. You can't get ready by 9.30 for Sunday school, right? Thank you for that testimony. And a word quickly about rest. As I said earlier, the main focus of the Sabbath day is the idea of rest. In the New Testament, it's activity. It's a Sabbatarian idea to talk about Sunday as a day of rest. I mean, if anything, it's a day of, of ministry. It's a day of coming to church, learning, involved with the church. You ever been around those guys? You know, if somebody in church asks them to do something, come to a meeting at church on Sunday afternoon or Sunday night, something like that, come to something like this on a Sunday night. No, nope. Sunday's supposed to be a day of rest, preacher. Don't have time for that. Sunday's supposed to be a day of rest. You see him next week. What did you do on your day of rest? Well, I painted the house. Basically, you know, it's sort of like, when did this guy start giving these theological reasons for doing anything? But uh, in other words, what, what that interpreted means, you've asked me to do something I don't want to do. Um, and, you know, ministers, you, you've got to be aware of your staff here. Any decent minister... has to fight not to answer the bell every time he's your shepherd you're a sheep they love you when you're in need they feel compelled to want to be there 24 7 people don't just schedule emergency surgeries during his work hours right people don't have accidents only during his work hours if it's on his day off and he hears about something important, he wants to be there he loves you he, you're there are your shepherds. 
you've got to help them as much as possible keep their days off. They desperately need it. Now for them, it's this idea of the Sabbath principle. Sunday is their hardest day. It's the hardest day for a minister. Emotionally, physically, in every other way. So he had, there's this Sabbath principle of work and rest. He has to do it on other days. You've got, you've got to help your staff keep those things because they want to serve you. It's hard for them to turn off when there are needs in the church all the time. All right. Um, So let me finish, say one more thing about rest, and we'll talk about work, working on Sunday. Uh, I've said that this is a day for doing the things for the Lord you don't have time to do on other days, like taking a nap. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. I've got a little chapter on that in the Simplify Your Spiritual Life book. If God means for you to sleep, it's sin to be reading the Bible. Again, God doesn't have us under his thumb every moment. It's his will for us to rest with excellence. I'm preaching to myself here. But sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap, and Sunday is a glorious day for doing that. Not because it's a day of rest, but because it's a day of enjoying God's good gifts. So let's talk about work now. Even in the Sabbatarian documents, historically, like the Westminster Confession of Faith, like the 1689 Confession of, of the Baptists, that were Sabbatarian documents, even they had a phrase called works of necessity. It said you're not to do any work on the Sabbath day. Works of necessity and mercy being accepted, exceptions. See, with me, even the strictest Sabbatarian documents that said you do no work at all on Sunday, they made exceptions for what they called works of necessity and works of mercy. Where did they get that? Jesus, in his arguments with the Pharisees about the Sabbath, said, if your son or an ox falls into a well on the Sabbath day, won't you get it out? What is that? It's a work of necessity. You got to do this, they're going to die. And Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Therefore, works of mercy are exceptions, are permitted on the Sabbath. So, is it always wrong to work on Sunday? Well, even, even the Sabbatarian view says there are works of necessity, there are exceptions. When I fly home on Sunday, I want TSA keeping terrorists off my airplanes. I want those people watching radar to make sure nobody's shooting missiles at us from Russia. I want them working on Sunday, don't you? If I have an accident, if, if, you know, if my daughter holds off on these contractions, though she's headed to the hospital... If she holds off and starts delivering that baby on Sunday, I want the doctors and nurses to be there on Sunday. Those are works of necessity. And there are a lot of people who, to keep their job, occasionally have to work on Sunday. Certain shift workers will have to take a Sunday shift every once in a while to keep their job. That's a work of necessity. The problem comes when 
it has to be permanent. That's when there has to be a change because now work is keeping you from the first principle on the Lord's Day, and that's to gather with his people. Work is not permitted in Scripture to keep us from God and the worship of God. But there are works of necessity and works of mercy. I, I remember my dad as a deacon, would, if there's anybody in the hospital, Sunday afternoon, that's when he did that. That's when he would see anybody in the hospital on Sunday, works of, of mercy. What about children in the Lord's Day? And that, We're almost done here. Well, in a nutshell, you do whatever it takes to make the Lord's Day a day they look forward to and not a day they dread. When we read the Little House on the Prairie books with my daughter, my favorite was Farmer Boy. The one about Almanzo, her future husband, who working on a farm in western New York State. He said when he and his brother were growing up, on Sunday they put on their little black suits and they went to church. And when they came home, they sat on the bench where they ate their Sunday lunch. And after that, they had to sit there the rest of the afternoon. They couldn't play. They couldn't read. They couldn't do anything. And he said they hated it. And if that's what Sunday was, I would hate it too. You want to make the Lord's Day a day they look forward to, a day they wake up and say, it's the Lord's Day, it's Sunday, goody. It's a special day. Even long before they understand why it's important, why it is special. Just the whole attitude of the day. But even special things you don't do in other days, like special breakfasts only on Sunday. Now, I'm not contradicting myself and saying more work. Maybe it's, it's, that's the day they get toaster waffles, you know. That's the day they get, you know, some, something quick and easy like that, but it's special. Only on Sunday. Goody, it's Sunday. We get to have that today. Or the Sunday night traditions of, <clears throat> you know, ice cream or popcorn or something that makes them look forward to Sunday. Sunday's a special day. Sunday's a good day. We love Sunday. And from their earliest days, they are trained to see Sunday as a good day and a special day. You don't require them to do everything you do on other days, do you? You don't require them to go to work and do what you do at work when they're children. Well, you don't expect that of them on Sunday as well, in the, fully in the same way. And then, I guess lastly, what about unbelievers? I'm talking about unbelieving adult children who live with you, unbelieving spouses you live with you don't condemn them for doing what we don't do on the Lord's day they don't have a connection to it we don't condemn our neighbors for doing what we don't do on the Lord's day I had a neighbor that once said he would never go to church because a, a, a guy jumped him one time for mowing his yard on Sunday I've known a couple of people like that. Well, I've been around long enough to know that's not the real reason. He just doesn't want to, and he used some, something that a Christian did as the excuse. But it doesn't work to condemn someone saying, you shouldn't mow your yard on Sunday. You ought to be like me and be a Christian. That's going to win their hearts, isn't it? You know what would win their hearts? Go help them. Or bring them a cup of cold water in Jesus' name when they're mowing their yard. We don't condemn unbelievers for doing on the Lord's Day what we want to do. They don't have a connection to it. We wouldn't force baptism on them, right? 
They don't have a connection to it. We wouldn't force the Lord's Supper on them. We don't force the Lord's Day on them. They don't have a connection to it. So if you have an unbelieving husband, he wants to watch football, maybe sit there with him and do some handwork or reading or something. How should we spend the Lord's Day? Two principles. Make worship with other believers the priority. Second, we observe it as a day uniquely for the Lord. Remembering, after all, it is the Lord's day, not yours. And observing, evaluating every activity by that fact. Two quick questions and I'm done. Does your typical use of time on the Lord's day rob you of the joy and blessing that might be yours on the first day of the week? I have a survey in front of me. It's a little dated now, but I think it's still valid. Weekends at home tire us out as much as a week's work. It said 90% felt no more energetic on Sunday than on Friday. You know why? I think because of the way we spend our Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I think that's sad. The world lives for Friday night, for Saturday night. Believers ought to live for the Lord's Day. When I talk about this, I can see on people's faces they're thinking, oh boy, you know, here comes the guilt. Just, just cut to the chase, would you? Tell me what to do and what not to do. Let's get out of here. It's a joyless, legalistic view. But do you realize if you were to live the way I've talked about tonight and you live to be 70, that means you would spend 10 years of your life taking naps and playing with your children and your grandchildren and enjoying fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, enjoying God's creation, reading Christian books. Does that sound like a burden to you? I dream of a life like this. I dream of a life like this and God says it's yours it's yours you have to receive it who would have imagined in a generation where a majority of Americans says that God doesn't understand computers that the solution to this modern problem of the increased pace and complexity of life is in the word of God all along but you have to receive it. So, will you begin this Lord's Day to make the changes necessary for the Lord's Day to be the Lord's Day in your life? Let's pray. Lord, you're so good and you're gracious. I pray that you would make this teaching on the Lord's Day beautiful to people here, desirable to people. Help them to experience the joy and freedom you offer them through it. I ask it in Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen.